to worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in this space as well as online. Welcome. And at this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we light the candle for love. 
Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. God is with us, Isaiah 7, 14. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning. Fields and flowers, rocks, hills and 
All right. That was awesome. Fantastic. Great job. So we can get the kids who want to go downstairs to kind of go over. We can go get ready for class. Hopefully there's some treats for that. So. <laughs> All right. We'll wait till they get ready. <laughs> All right, guys. Ready, adults? The Lord be with you. <laughs> There's nothing better than that. <laughs> All right, so a couple quick announcements here before we um, get into prayer. If you didn't know, uh, if you like coffee, Aldea Coffee is outside, um, and you can grab some coffee for gifts or for yourself. It's a good wake-me-up. Um, yeah, we're getting to the end of the year. A couple weeks ago, Andrew talked a little bit about uh, the hockey stick effect at Hardwick and Really, for anybody that's of uh, nonprofit status, um, we're cutting it close. We're coming down to the end of the year, we got a couple weeks left. Uh, we have about four hundred thousand left uh, to make up. So, if you are looking and deciding and prayerfully considering, uh, Hardwick is a great destination for that, and uh, there's a lot of great things happening here. If you want more information than that, I am the council president, so I'll be here afterwards if you have any questions. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray using the words from Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing for, the, for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes to earth. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how great it is to hear the voices of children singing to you this morning. I don't know of a more joyful noise than that. All around us is an old song proclaiming salvation comes from within. Just do it. Truth is in me. I deserve to taste the forbidden fruit. I've earned it. It's my right. Yet, we are here today to sing a new song. Our comfort or identity is not that we are own. It is that we are not our own. We belong to you. So let us join with all of creation and rejoice. For you came to us in the form of a child. All splendor and majesty are before you. The heavens sing of your glory and for your peace on earth. Turn our eyes toward you, Lord, and rest your favor upon us. Lord, you have called us at Hardwick to do great things in your name. Help us to lean into the vision you give, have given us 
to see everyone joining in the journey of being found in, formed by, and following you. Bless us as we worship this morning, and may your words be spoken through JB, and equip us to sing your song as we leave this place. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Oh. Good morning. I don't know about you, but uh, my face kind of hurts from smiling during that uh, little rendition of Old Glorious Night. It is, uh, our kids are, are incredible, amen? Just, uh, just a gift from the Lord. And uh, the next couple of weeks, just another couple of quick announcements are going to look a little bit different uh, across campus. Next week is Christmas. Can you believe it? We got a week until Christmas. And so um, we typically do a Christmas Eve service and a Christmas morning service uh, here at Heart Awake, and that's going to remain the same, even though Christmas is on a Sunday. Um, but those are going to be combined all campus-wide, three worshiping communities, um, and they're going to the first on Christmas weekend is going to be in the sanctuary. So six o'clock p.m. Uh, candlelight service. Um, um, Christmas Eve, and then Christmas morning, that'll be 10 a.m. It'll be vibrant, traditional music, orchestra, hallelujah, walk-up chorus, so you can sing in the choir, lots of great opportunities. And then New Year's Day, we're going to do a combined service uh, at the Anchor, and kind of the worship team from Watershed will lead, and I'll be preaching there, and so just encourage you to make use of those opportunities to gather as a broader Heart Awake community. Did you get all that? Amen. All right, I got some nodding heads. All right, if you remember last week, by the way, uh, we have a lot of guests and grandparents here, and so just welcome. And my name is Pastor JB. It's a joy, it's an honor to be part of uh, Fusion, but part of Heart Awake as well. And if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer any questions. I don't know why I went like that, but I did. So there we go. You're stuck with it. Okay. If you remember, uh, last week, we, we kind of shifted our series in Advent, uh, zeroing in on the prophet Isaiah. So we kind of stepped away from, we've been in the story, working through the whole narrative of scripture, and we've really zeroed in on Isaiah, considering the words that direct our hearts to the coming Messiah. Uh, last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 11, uh, the shoot that comes from the root of Jesse that produces fruit. There's a lot of words rhyming there, but you got it, right? Uh, in next week, we're going to be looking at at Isaiah 9, a well-known Christmas passage for unto us a child is born, a son is given, uh, the government will be on his shoulders. That's next Sunday. That's going to frame our Christmas weekend. And, uh, but this week, we're going to just turn several chapters to the right if, if you're looking at the book of Isaiah. And there's, it's important to recognize that the, the perspective kind of shifts. And, and we kind of look at Isaiah chapter 40 uh, through chapter 66, the perspective kind of shifts uh, into the future. And so, uh, and that shift happens at Isaiah chapter 40, which says this, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, right? We're returning from exile. She's received from God's, the Lord's hand double for her sins. So there's this shift in the perspective, and along with that shift in that second part of Isaiah is, is that there is this, this movement toward, uh, toward hope, the second part of Isaiah 44 through 66, these themes rise to the surface in a stream of hope moving toward God's kingdom. By the way, the little poster on there is Bible Project. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me reference that as a resource many times. Uh, those are all free resources online. Check it out, BibleProject.com. But right in the middle of these chapters, 44 through 66, there's a series of four songs. They're called the, the servant songs in Isaiah. 
and they lead to the fourth of those songs, which is going to be our text this morning. These are songs that are written in poetry, with imagery, and so it can be a little difficult to get through. But this morning, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapters 52 and 53, uh, well known as the Suffering Servant Song, okay? Uh, that might sound familiar because oftentimes we reserve that, that passage in Isaiah for Easter weekend, specifically Good Friday. Um, but it's so relevant for us today here in Advent. Remember last week we talked a little bit about the prophetical voices. The prophets are speaking to a time and place, uh, but the meaning of those words continue to carry for generations and generations. So Isaiah is speaking to a time and place in history, uh, but fast forward to the time of Jesus, and they're reading these words by the power of the Spirit, and that continues to carry weight and meaning. And for us, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, 2,000 years later, these words continue to carry meaning. That's all important. So this morning, what I really want to do is just simply walk through Isaiah 52 and 53. If you have a Bible, you feel free to open it. Otherwise, the texts are going to be on the screen. And we're going to use Isaiah 52 and 53 as a lens through which we see and view the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at. But to begin, we're just going to read Isaiah 52, verse 7. If you're willing and if you're able, uh, it is our custom here to honor God as he speaks to us through his words. So I invite you to stand this morning as we listen. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we do indeed thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired their writing. And Lord, thousands of years later, you continue to inspire us as we hear from your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears as we listen to the words of you. Lord, may they shape us, may they comfort us, may they remind us of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I've shared this before, and so it might not be new news, it's really not that big of a deal, but uh, I have the unique, dis unique privilege, not really unique, but the privilege uh, of being the parent who drives our kids to school just about every morning. The reason for that is the school is right on the way to church. So on my way into the office, I load up the kids, and then we, we drive off to school. Now I say that's a, a privilege and a delight, and most of the time it is. Okay, so there's some challenges there as well. But anyway, during that drive, we're driving to school. This past couple of weeks, we listened to the radio, and uh, it's Christmas season. So on the radio, there's a lot of Christmas songs playing, right? They started in, after Halloween or whenever it did. I don't know. But there's a lot of Christmas songs playing. And so on the drive into uh, to school, the last couple of weeks, I, I, I think like three or four times during like this 10 to 12-minute window, this one particular song came on the radio. It was uh, uh, Josh Groban. Do you know, are you familiar with Josh Groban? You raise me up. Yeah, not that song. Um, but Josh Groban does this rendition of O Holy Night. Okay, now, anyone else? O Holy Night, like favorite Christmas song? 
top five. I mean, it's just my favorite. It's like one of my favorite. So Josh Groban does this beautiful rendition of Oh Holy Night, and it kind of begins with this chord progression on the piano. And so this, this song comes on, and so I'm feeling inspired. And so, uh, you know, not quite as good as the kids, but I, I start kind of singing along to Josh Groban, uh, you know, Oh Holy Night. And then you kind of have to sing like Josh Groban. Anyone else? No one's resonating. Okay, so I'm singing like Josh Groban to Josh Groban in the car on the way to school. Now, can you imagine my kid's reaction? <laughs> that was really good timing, Power. Nate, that was excellent. I was going to say, they said, Dad, your voice is like an angel, and you just help us just know the meaning of Christmas. That's not what they say. That was the picture. They're like, Dad, Stop. Stop singing, Dad! You know that voice. Have you heard it, anyone? Yeah. So there, and basically, what's, what's happening here? Kind of a funny little story, but what's happening here is, is basically the kids are like, Dad, the song is just fine, right? They might not say the song is great on its own, but it is. Basically, my kids are saying, Dad, stop singing. The song is great on its own. We don't need your additions to this song. Let us just listen to it, please, right? That's what they're saying. Now, in that same spirit, on a more serious note, can we agree that God's word stands on its own? And week after week, we add commentary to help us understand. And that's good. And, and, but, but this week, like, Isaiah 52 and particularly Isaiah 53 really stand on their own to help us wrap our minds around and our hearts around the good news of the gospel. And so we are just gonna allow God's word this morning to really frame our time. You see, as I was immersing myself in the book of Isaiah this week, particularly these two chapters, I was, I was struck as I, as I was in chapter 52 of how 52 and 53 really become this beautiful lens through which to view the whole gospel narrative of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and one of the ways that we can kind of explain and summarize the gospel story of Jesus would be this little fancy drawing. I love it. But cradle, cross, and crown. And so cradle, the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. The cross, the good news, Jesus' death. And then the crown, Jesus' resurrection and his eventual return as king, as Lord over heaven and the earth. And so this morning, what I simply want to do is use Isaiah 52 and 53 along with Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel account to remember well the whole gospel narrative, the good news of Jesus Christ's birth, death, resurrection, and awaited return, cradle, cross, and crown. And so let's begin with the text we just read this morning, looking at the cradle, uh, the Christmas good news. These first verses, if you were following along in your, in your Bible, you'd notice that uh, the servant song actually doesn't begin at verse 7. Uh, but I felt compelled as I was reading verses 7 and following that, man, there's this resonance with these words that we just read uh, to the, the Christmas story, particularly Luke chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open to Luke 2, otherwise they're going to be on the screen. Uh, but particularly uh, what the angels proclaim to the shepherds in Luke 2 verses 10 and following, there are some parallels happening between what the angels proclaim and what Isaiah proclaims in 52 verse 7. Let's throw it on the screen and just, that's really small. Okay, can you read that or is that a little difficult? Okay, hopefully you can read that. Oh, these screens are bigger. Okay, that one's not as big. Okay, so let's just look at these two passages together. Isaiah 52, let's begin. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace 
peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Literally, your God is king. Now, now jump ahead over to Luke chapter 2 and look at the parallels. I tried to color code them just to, to make the connection. The angel said to them, said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A savior. What does a savior bring? Salvation, right? has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. Again, this is a a, a word that points us to king, the kingship of Jesus Christ, the one who reigns, right? This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying to a manger. Familiar words, but wow. I can't help but think that, that maybe, just maybe as the shepherds who are so familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, as they heard the angels proclaim these words, in the back of their minds were they thinking, boy, that sounds like Isaiah. That sounds like the prophet Isaiah. I don't know for sure, but maybe. Let's look at the verses that follow. This is verse 9 and 10. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Burst into songs of joy together. What happens in Luke chapter 2? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appear with the angel praising God and we assume they're singing songs, bursting into songs of praise, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then Isaiah 52 in in verse 13, that's the last verse there on the left, this is where actually the servant song begins and we're introduced, see my servant will act wisely. Literally the Hebrew means will prosper He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And and what is all the angel chorus, what is it all about in Luke 2? It's about Jesus Christ, who is this servant, who is this savior, who is the Messiah. There is singing and there is joy and there is glory to God in the highest, right? Certainly Christmas, this, this time that we recognize with this word, the cradle includes praise and worship. Praise and worship of this Christ child. And, and I don't know about you, but I think our kids like, did a pretty good job with that. Amen? Uh, beautifully. And we join with them as we sing joy to the world, joining with the angels, joining with the shepherds, sharing the good news that Christ the Savior, the King foretold, has come, born in Bethlehem. And we just say, wow. Maybe we should pause and just say wow together. Wow. It's incredible. It's an incredible thing to, to remember and behold. Of course, along, along with our remembering of the Christmas story, with the angels and the shepherds and all of these things, we also remember that Christ's birth included some curious aspects too. Maybe you've heard some of these things before, but the angels are singing. But who's their audience? Shepherds. Lowly shepherds, Right? It seems that most of the rest of Bethlehem is kind of oblivious to what's going on, but the shepherds know. Also, this king, right? This king was was conceived, and if you know the story of the virgin birth, and you know, Mary and Joseph, when she becomes pregnant, they're not married, and so there's this, this rumbling in the community of scandal. He's placed then after he's born in a in a feeding trough, surrounded by animals, to this poor couple from the region of Galilee, Nazareth, right? who end up, by the way, fleeing 
fearing persecution from Herod, right? So there's these other peculiar details about this royal birth, which are very different from, from more modern royal births, right? Uh, the royal family in England, they have, they have a baby. Will and Kate have a baby, and there's BBC coverage and news vans. Like, there's all of this. But what we learn about Jesus, this helpless child kind of grows up in obscurity. Once he's grown, he begins teaching, he begins healing, he begins calling disciples to follow him. And Jesus would show, he would show his disciples a road most unexpected. And this leads us to Isaiah chapter 53. That the cradle would lead us to the crown. That would lead Jesus to the crown, right? Isaiah 53 goes on to tell more about this servant and, and how he would fulfill the good news of salvation and peace. And again, it's peculiar, it's unexpected, and I dare say even disturbing. Isaiah 53 offers us the clearest resonating summary of Jesus Christ's work on the cross found in the entire Hebrew scriptures. And so instead of trying to find some grand conclusions as we think about the cross of Jesus Christ, we'll just again let the text guide our spiritual imagination and let the spirit capture our hearts and remind us of how loved we are by God. We're gonna read Isaiah 53 and remember just how much Jesus loves you and loves me and what he went through for us. But before we do, remember this, that Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry, he understood exactly where this road, this ministry would lead him. Three different times in his ministry, Jesus Christ, as recorded by the Gospels, he predicts to his disciples what would happen to him. The first of which in Luke's account is chapter nine, verses 20 through 22. The words should be on the screen. They begin asking, people are talking about, who is this Jesus? And Jesus asks his disciples, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answers, God's Messiah. Peter's onto it, right? It's the Messiah. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, predicting what would happen, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he knew what lay before him. And Eddie pushed forward. So now, friends, let's listen together to the words of the prophet. And while we do, I want to just invite you to remember what Jesus Christ has done and endured on your behalf. Verse 2 opens with these words. I think I forgot to put these first words on the screen, so that's my fault. But verse 2 says this. He grew up before them like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Does that sound familiar? Isaiah is connecting these, this passage with what we read last week in Isaiah 11, the, the shoot from the root of Jesse, the line of David, right? He goes on in verse two. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. As the prophet tells us, even Jesus' physical appearance was unremarkable. He did not grow up in privilege, but instead was familiar with pain. 
despised, rejected, looked down upon by others. Friends, as we remember what Jesus went through physically, we remember that Jesus knows our pain, not just physically, but also emotionally. Jesus knows and understands the emotional pain of rejection, and that's significant because what Jesus took upon himself, he redeems. But not only does Jesus understand our pain, but Isaiah 53 continues, verse four. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Christ took upon himself our pain and the suffering that we deserved. Jesus Christ took upon himself the punishment that we deserved for our own sin. And these are the words the prophet uses. Pierced. Crushed. Stricken and afflicted in my place, in your place. Because as Isaiah continues, the reality is, verse six, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. See, friends, just like the people of Israel who have we've been learning, rebelled over and over against God's covenant, we are guilty of the same. We think we know what's best. We chase after those things that we think will serve us best, the things that we think will bring us happiness and, and fulfillment. And in the process, in that pursuit, we hurt others and we make a mess of our lives. And here's the truth. There is nothing ultimately that we can do to make that right. But Jesus came. Jesus Christ came on Christmas morning for a greater purpose because there was only one way to bring redemption to a broken world. Jesus Christ needed to be the one who stands in the gap. Verse seven, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. prophet reminds us that our Lord Jesus faced accusation, faced humiliation. He could have spoken up. He could have said a word and it all would have stopped, but no, he remained silent, willingly taking up his own cross. He walked toward his own death, even though he was completely, without a doubt, innocent of any wrongdoing. Our Lord Jesus Christ like a lamb that's been slain, unjustly, brutally murdered, 
crucified for you, for me. Friends, I know that that is not the typical Christmas story that we hear this time of year. (laughs) It's not the the cute story of the farm animals and the shepherds and the angels. But, But friends, this is why Jesus, the Messiah King, the Christ child, the suffering servant, as Isaiah puts it, came into this world. He came and he was born ultimately because he would die on a cross. The reason we have a cradle, right? The reason we remember a cradle is because it would lead to the cross. And this is a reality that we must not forget even during the Christmas season, right? There's a, there's a well-known slogan that kind of goes around in our culture, right? And, and uh, keep Christ in Christmas. And by all means, as Christians, we should definitely keep Christ as the central point of our Christmas, totally. But what if there was a new slogan, Let's keep the cross in Christmas as well. Keep the cross in our minds, remembering what Jesus Christ actually came to do even on Christmas Day. But here's the other good news. is It's cradle, cross, and the, the story doesn't end with the cross, the cross. Amen? There's the crown. Christ would rise from the grave. Christ will come again to reign fully on earth as it is in heaven. And let's, let's continue reading Isaiah 53 because it actually begins to give us little glimpses of that resurrection perspective. Verse 10, let's follow along. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. According to the prophet Isaiah, this suffering and death was part of God's will, part of God's plan. And picking up in verse 11, we learn that the servant will see the light of life. This servant, who we're told dies, will live again and will receive a portion among the great, verse 12. In other words, the servant will live again and receive glory. Now we connect this to Luke's gospel. Jesus offers this epilogue of sorts to his disciples in Luke chapter 24. Let's pick up the story. He said to them, This is after the resurrection. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then Luke goes on to share the account of the early church in the book of Acts. It's a springboard, right? What Jesus is saying is that part of God's plan from the beginning was cradle, cross, and now crown. The resurrected Jesus Christ as crowned king over all the earth. But what does Jesus say here in Luke 24? 
Jesus says that this message of the kingdom, repentance and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, must go out to the nations. And so he sends the disciples out in mission, and it's the springboard of the early church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, God's kingdom, why is this significant? God's kingdom is bigger than this group of disciples. And not only that, but God's kingdom that is coming is bigger than the nation of Israel. And we can say hallelujah to that because what that means is we are included in that good news. Amen? And here as as we think about that, we live in this time between when Jesus Christ has died and rose from the grave and we're waiting his return, when when he will restore his kingdom and return to earth. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks on New Year's Day. encourage you to come check that out. But here is where, once again, I think the book of Revelation becomes helpful. If you weren't here last week, we looked at Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Just a quick summary. Revelation chapter 4, there is uh, this vision. John receives this vision. It's a vision of heaven where where God is seated on the throne and there's these four living creatures, these 24 elders, and it's worship and it's praise. It's really this echo from Isaiah chapter 6. But we get to chapter 5 and and John hears that there is no one worthy to open this scroll. A scroll that's sealed with seven seals. There's a lot of imagery here that we're not going to go over. But no one's worthy to open this scroll and John begins weeping because in this scroll contains really the keys to the kingdom, how the kingdom of God is going to come to earth and no one's worthy, no one's found worthy to open this scroll. So John is here just weeping and then he hears something. And remember last week we talked about what John hears versus what he sees and in in, in chapter 5 he hears the prophecies of the Old Testament. No, there is one who's worthy. It's the Lion of Judah. It's the Root of Jesse, right? These prophecies that point to the Messiah. He has triumphed. And he's like, that's good news. And he looks over and what does he see? Do you remember? He sees a lamb that looks as if it's been slain. That these prophecies of the Lion of Judah, this conquering Messiah, would be fulfilled in a Messiah who would lay down his life for the sins of others, for, for, of all of us, right? Revelation 6 picks up the story. Six of the seven seals are, are open. There's a lot of imagery there we're not getting into. Chapter 7 we get to hear, and again we have this seeming discrepancy between what John hears and what John sees. We pick up verse 2. Then I saw... Another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God, he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Who is part of this kingdom? And he hears, this is what he hears, verse four, then I heard the number of those who were sealed. Who's part of the kingdom? 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. Then the 12 tribes of Israel are all listed with 12,000 of those sealed from each tribe. What's 12 times 12,000? Math math geniuses? 144,000. So that's how we get that number. He hears the prophecy, what's been told in the prophecy of the chosen people of God, but what does he see? Verse 9. After this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
One of the elders goes on to explain to John that this multicultural multitude are those, picking up in verse 14, who have come out of the great tribulation. They've been washed. They've washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the lamb. Jesus' sacrifice has offered forgiveness and they are now righteous before God. Verse 15, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. The Lamb of God is enthroned, will shepherd them. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John sees a vision of God's kingdom restored here on earth. It's a vision of a kingdom where Christ rules as the king, the Messiah, the one who, it's a, it's a vision we live into today. It is a vision that we anticipate will fully come when Jesus Christ returns someday into the future. A diverse, multi-ethnic gathering of the redeemed, living in perfect peace under the rule of the lamb who sits upon the throne. It is a beautiful, incredible vision. Again, in a couple weeks, we're gonna explore that vision a little more deeply. Good news, Amen. There's a lot of add-ons that come with Christmas, right? We've talked about it. Hopefully, uh, on a lighthearted note, hopefully those add-ons for your sake does not include yours truly giving my best Josh Groban in rendition of O Holy Night because I think you'll repeat what my kids said. Stop. But the truth is this, this cherished story of Christmas, of Christ's birth, really doesn't need any of the extras we bring along with it. The story, the reality of the incarnation is enough all on its own, and I'd encourage you to make that a central part of your celebrations this Christmas. I think a great way to do that is to come for our gatherings, right? That's a great way to make worship, the worship of, and the remembrance of Jesus Christ birth central to our Christmas celebrations, but find ways to make that central in your gatherings. But also remember that that this Christmas that the cradle is only part of the story. It's the first part of the story. It's an important part, a miraculous, a beautiful part that, of the incarnation that God took on flesh, entered our broken world. It's, 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 it's amazing and incredible and wonderful and worth celebrating every year. Absolutely, yes, yes, yes. I love Christmas. And it's only the first part of the story. Cradle, cross, and crown. We celebrate the cradle on Christmas because it would lead to the cross so that Christ would wear a crown both now and forevermore. Friends, this is our story. This is our good news. This is our peace and our salvation. No add-ons needed, amen? Remember this good news of the gospel and let's pray and ask that the Spirit would help us in that. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reality, Lord Jesus, that you came 2,000 years ago. And every year, this time of year, we remember the, the incredible, wondrous miracle of the incarnation. That God took on flesh in Jesus Christ, entered into this broken world to bring salvation and peace and hope and joy. And he did it all for his love for us. And Lord, as we remember that, as we, as we just 
soak in the reality and the, the awe of that moment, Lord, may we also remember that, Lord, that moment happened so that, Lord Jesus, you would, you would grow, become an adult, lead disciples, and eventually die on a cross. taking the weight of our sin and our brokenness, bearing it into the grave, and then, Lord, you rose again, conquering death, being anointed, being anointed as king who rules. And, Lord, this season we remember that you are king who wears a crown of glory. We remember this gospel as we sing together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
beautiful day of worship this has been through the word, through the children leading us, through this team whom I love dearly, all of you leading us. Thank you. So now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. God of the ages, behold the Messiah, mighty to save us. Oh, everyone sees there's a light in the darkness, is shining in Bethlehem. This is the moment, this is the night.